Brethren, there is nothing better than being a Christian, than knowing that you are a friend of the mighty God, the creator of life, the universe, and everything. Than knowing that you are loved so much by a mighty God that he would come to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ and God the flesh and die upon the cross for your sins, for my sins, to liberate us. Yes, I do believe Christians should be the happiest people on earth. We should be delighted. What comfort we have. What a hope we have. We don't have to crawl into a bottle and try to drown our sorrows. Open up the Bible. Read the word of God and find encouragement there and comfort and find strength. When you're worrying, give up your worry and pray. It works very well. The cross is a wonderful thing and we are friends of the cross. It was a symbol of a terrible death in ancient times. It was the death of a slave. It was a cruel death that lasted a long time. It was an example to those who would stand against the might of Rome. If you go against us, we're going to make you suffer. We're going to humiliate you. If you were a Roman citizen, you would not be crucified. But Jesus wasn't a Roman citizen. But Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the mighty king perished upon the cross, a slave's death. What the world thought was his end, his finish, was his beginning. It was his victory, the victory over sin. It was our victory. So we see that the cross represents something wonderful, the supreme act and evidence of the love of Almighty God for us. Even so, our attitude toward us, toward it, represents for us the greatest of blessings. It is liberation. It is comfort. And yet there are those who oppose the gospel message. There are those who look upon the accounts of Christ Jesus and what he did and mock and turn away and try to find some other way toward salvation, their own personal ideas. And these people, they are described by Paul in Philippians 3.18. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Would you want that on your resume? Especially when you stand before him upon judgment day. For those who reject Christ, the Hebrews writer tells us, in Hebrews 6 verse 6, crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh. Once more we stand facing the cross of Jesus Christ. That wondrous cross which, at one, which was at once the measure of the love of heaven and the sin of man. For as the cross represents the supreme act and evidence of God's love for us, even so our attitude towards it represents for us the greatest blessing or the greatest sin. Rejecting Christ. Still it is true as of old. On either side one and Jesus in the midst. John 19 and verse 18. Remember they were mocking him. One was mocking him. If you're so great can't you take yourself down? And the other said he's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. Both of these men were dying. One trusted him and one denied him. And some looked to that. When Jesus told the thief on the cross that he would be in paradise with him that day. They look at that as evidence that all you have to do is pray. Not so. That was under the old covenant. When Christ died upon the cross, the old covenant died with him. And when Christ rose from the dead, the new covenant 
became into effect. We are saved according to the wish to the to the instructions of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. You know, that central cross upon which Jesus was crucified divides the world into the saved and the lost, into the heirs of glory and to the children of wrath. Something like this must have been in the mind of the author of the epistle of the Hebrews when he penned that dismal sentence. They crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. All that he meant by that awful word of warning may be difficult to define, but it is wise to trace those steps that may lead someday to that dreadful place where the very cross that was meant to save can only become the savour of death unto death. For if we reject the, the gospel of Christ, if we turn our backs upon the cross and deny Jesus, then there is no life. There is no salvation. It is possible to be among the enemies of the cross of Christ long before we have reached that final stage and crucified the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. We may take the wrong side of the cross by ignoring or, de, or, or, or just hating the doctrine of the cross. Many people find it offensive that we would say there's only one way to heaven. How politically incorrect, but how biblically true. The very foundation of Christianity is the gospel of the cross. Take that away and we have nothing left but a scheme of philosophy and morals. But alas, in a craze for novelty, religious leaders are growing weary of the old account. And they invent a new doctrine of the cross. They tell us that Jesus died not to atone for the sins of men, or to bear our guilt or stand before beneath the judgment of God as our substitute and sacrifice for sin, but simply that he might inspire other men to have a similar life of sacrifice for their fellows. The atonement, according to these wild weavers of the spider's web of new theology, is simply learning to imitate the self-sacrifice of the Lord Jesus when it suits us and be like him when it's to our advantage. It is too much, is it too much to say that such a caricature of Calvary, Calvary and Christianity crucifies the Son of God afresh and puts him to an open shame. We may also take the wrong side of the cross by believing false doctrine respecting the cross and the precious blood. The Roman Catholic sacrifice of the Mass is a fearful misrepresentation of the cross of Christ. In that man-made ceremonial, the Lord Jesus is represented as really being offered again in actual sacrifice every time the worshipper receives the sacrament. It is literally crucifying him afresh. The Bible tells us Christ was crucified how many times? Once. Just once. And if Roman Catholic doctrine is true, then Christ is crucified every single time they have the Lord's Supper, over and over, existing in a constant state of agony for all eternity. How horrific. It's horrific enough that he had to die once upon the cross. What an awful teaching. And how biblically incorrect. 
In distinction from this, how emphatic is the teaching of the epistle to the Hebrews that once in the end of the world, or better, once for all, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9 verse 6. Once, and that was all. And we may be enemies of the cross by neglecting to give due emphasis and importance to the doctrine of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. This charge holds against much of the preaching today. As the expression goes, all roads lead to Rome, so all truths point to Calvary. And there is no gospel message in which the cross should not find some place. But there are those that teach you that you're saved. It doesn't matter what you do in life. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You're saved. You don't have to repent. That would be a work. You don't have to be baptized. That would be a work. But that's an opinion of men. It is not the opinion of the word of God. To repent is an act of obedience to Christ. To be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins is an act of obedience to Christ. And that did not change after he rose from the dead. It's part of the New Testament. When Peter used those keys of the kingdom that Christ gave him, he used those keys on Pentecost and told people to repent and be baptized so they could be forgiven of their sins. This is the historical and truthful teaching of God's word. Not the man-made tradition of, oh, put up your hand, do a dance, don't forget to send your check with as many zeros as possible, buy me an airplane, all those kinds of false teachings. No. We're saved by what Christ achieved on the cross. And we can only contact that achievement and become a part of that victory when we obey the gospel in its fullness. We may also become enemies of the cross by accepting the gospel and yet doubting the efficacy of the blood of Christ for the salvation of our sins. That effectiveness. After you have laid your sins upon that cross with your crucified Savior, you have no business ever to touch them again. Yet so many do. But those sins are blotted out. Do we believe the Bible? Then they're blotted out. They're gone, expunged. They're paid in full. You wanted the blood of Christ by simply and fully believing that the Lamb of God pure and spotless, the sinless Son of the Lord our God, that he takes away your sins, he takes away the sins of the world. When you go back to dig up your buried bones, you are really crucifying Christ afresh. And it is no wonder that your soul is poisoned and your spiritual health destroyed by the resurrection of your buried sins. He came to liberate you from that to liberate you from the guilt of it, to wash it away in his sight. You are really crucifying Christ afresh when you put back on him the sins which have once been confessed and cleansed by his precious blood. Therefore, doubting is a dangerous, a dangerous thing to do. Do not doubt God when he says they are gone. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast Unto the end, Hebrews three fourteen. We may find ourselves on the wrong side of the cross by feigning to claim and receive the full purchase of his blood and the full meaning and the full value of the cross. It is the greatest coin in all reality, not gold, not stock, shares, bonds or diamonds. The greatest currency, 
is the blood of the Lamb of God. Pure and innocent, sinless. The king literally paid a ransom for your soul with his own blood. There is nothing more valuable than that. No greater prize, no greater thing to be achieved in our lives than to get right with God on his terms, to be on the right side of the cross. That blood was too sacred and costly for us to waste. And we have no right to let one drop of it be shed in vain. Not only did he die that our sins might be forgiven, but that our souls might be cleansed and sanctified before God. So we will stand justified before God. I love that word justified. Because of what Jesus achieved on the cross of Calvary for my sins, I am justified, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. What a blessing to be a Christian, to be on the right side of the cross, to be cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, to understand the full cost of that sacrifice and to understand how valuable each and every one of us truly is to him. The world might say to you, you're useless, you're nothing, you're a waste of space, not as far as Jesus Christ is concerned. He was sent to die as a ransom for the whole world. It's up to us to accept or to deny him. In Hebrews 10, 14, we read, By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You see, the perfection is through him. It's not ourselves. We're not perfect, but he is. In 1 John 1 verse 7 we read, The blood of Jesus Christ the Son cleanseth us from all sin. From some sin? From some sins or, or all sin? From all sin. Some churches teach it's only from some sin. Some sins they say are so bad. They're so bad you have to make, make big monetary donations in order to be forgiven of them. You notice there's a, a pattern here. But not according to the word of God. The blood was enough to pay for the cost of all sin. Therefore we fail to enter into our full inheritance of grace. Our full inheritance of holiness. And we are dishonoring the cross and suffering him to die in vain. If we deny the full power and efficacy of that beautiful blood. The blood of our kinsman redeemer. Of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God, who is the Lion of Judah. That cross embraces our healing also. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 4 and verse 5. We are healed from spiritual death. Because through Christ we come to spiritual life. And when we fail to claim our redemption through Christ's atonement, we dishonor his cross to that extent. And when we take our full redemption for soul in his name and through the purchase of his blood, we honor the Son of God. And we exalt the glory of his victory upon the cross. The cross that was meant to shame him. The cross that was meant as a symbol of shame and dishonor. Became a symbol of his victory. 
we honor God. And by that precious blood and that mighty cross, we find victory. In the very early days of Christianity, the cross became a symbol of Christians. 79 AD, we can date it because the city of Pompeii was destroyed by a volcano and Mount Vesuvius erupted. There was upon a wall a cross and it was put there in graffiti as an insult. There was a man who used to be a Roman soldier who became a Christian, as very many of them did, and he settled in Pompeii. And he owned himself a little bread factory or fish factory, it's a food place anyway. And it was right across the street from a brothel. And he had been talking to people, and one of, these, one of these men that used to go to the brothel became a Christian. And his friends were so angry at this, they were so outraged at the madness of their friend who decided to become one of these Christians that they put graffiti all over his wall. That's the earliest evidence we have of the cross being used as a symbol of the victory of Christ. 79 AD. We know afterwards it was certainly used. Egypt was the first country to become a Christian country. Egypt. And the cross, the symbol, has been found all over the Roman Empire. Within the first 100 years, there were crosses found in Roman garrisons in northern Britain, in Syria, and North Africa. It became a symbol of victory over sin, of victory over death, of victory over the pagan system they found themselves caught up in. Now Christ Jesus has purchased for us all our redemption rights and all our inheritance of spiritual blessing. Outside of him there is no hope. By virtue of all that he achieved, we have access to God in prayer and may ask according to the full measure of the value of the precious blood. And are we entering into this full inheritance or are we coming short of anything which he died to purchase for us? Why deny ourselves that blessing, that confidence, that comfort, that joy? We may also be enemies by cherishing an unforgiving spirit towards those whom God has forgiven and for whom Christ died. Do you realize that when you harbor a spirit of resentment against your brother and dwell bitterly upon his faults and his sins, that those very sins have already been borne by his Redeemer and yours too upon the cross, and that God is saying to you, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ who died. Romans 8, verse 33 and 34. You are really crucifying Christ afresh by taking your brother's sins off that cross and putting them back on him again. How can we dishonor and insult the blood to which we owe our own salvation? You see, being a Christian is not like being someone who is in the world. People like to cherish grudges. They like to hold on to them. They like to water them and cultivate them. I'm from Ireland. I can tell you, if, if, if there's ever a country in the world that could hold on to hate, it's Ireland. Because people like to define themselves by what they hate or who they hate. And usually each, it's each other. As the poet Kipling said, when there isn't war abroad, there's war at home in Ireland. The only time we're not fighting each other is when we're picking on the Germans and oh, we enjoy that. 
They outnumber us like 20 something to one, but it doesn't stop us. But we cherish our hatred and that's no way to live. To pass hatred down from generation to generation. As Christians, we certainly do not have the right to bear a grudge. We are all sinners in need of the Savior. None of us are perfect. We all must look upon each other with compassion and mercy. And knowing that though we are not perfect now, through him in the future, we are being made perfect. Through our beloved Lord that joins us, that binds us together. By claiming salvation through the blood of Christ and yet continuing in sin, we also prove ourselves to be enemies of the cross. If the Lord Jesus has borne your sins, then you have no right to lay them upon him again by continuing in the same course from which he saved you at such a tremendous cost. All willful sin is a crucifying of Christ afresh and a denying of the blood that bought you. I once heard a little child expressing the true spirit of the cross when she said, and it's no such wisdom comes from children. It truly does. Yes, I have laid my sins on Jesus, but God helping me, I do not want to lay any more on him. Isn't that beautiful? I do not want to lay any more on him. So shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, writes Paul. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans 6 verse 1 and 2. How can we expect the Lamb of God to come back and be crucified again for the sins that we are presumptuously allowing? Is any sin allowed? No, sin is sin. It divides us from God. It tears us away from our Savior. There is infinite room in the mercy of God, thankfully. And the blood of Christ, too, for our frailties and our shortcomings. But, but, the soul that persistently and willfully continues in any known source of evil is insulting the name of Jesus and is running close to the tremendous warning of this solemn text. It goes without saying that those who are the enemies of the cross, those who reject Jesus Christ, and permit him as far as they are concerned to die in vain, will suffer a terrible, a terrible end. The awfulness of that sin is one of the messages of the epistle to the Hebrews. How shall we escape, the writer asks, if we neglect so great salvation? Hebrews 2 and verse 3. In another place, he speaks of the sinner who, turning away from the Lord Jesus, that had trodden underfoot the Son of God and had counted the blood of the covenant an and unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. We have read of a man rushing madly to suicide over the body of a loving wife who vainly sought to hold him back, who shrank beneath his violence as he rushed to his destruction over her bleeding body. He realized the, the enormity of his sin. My friends, let us never forget the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, his broken body. As Brother Ed mentioned earlier, he bled from many, many places. He bled from his side where it had been pierced. 
from his wrists, his hands, his, his feet. His back had been whipped terribly. He had been spat in the face. He had been thumped, slapped in the face. And he had had a cross, a, a, gold, a, a crown of thorns placed upon his head. Not the golden crown that he deserves, the rightful king of Israel, the rightful king of the world. But a crown of thorns. And there is no crown before or since that can ever compare to the majesty of that crown. And when we realize he wore that crown for us, how can we not be humble? How can we not love him with every ounce and fiber of our being and our spirit? How can we not be delighted to say, that's my king, that's my Lord? Others died for their gods, my God died for me. And he rose from the dead, and he's coming back to take me home with him. What a powerful message there is in the gospel. And all the wrongs that I have ever done are washed away. And I have a means of forgiveness of the sins that I continue to commit in my frailty, in my weakness, in my imperfection, through him because he is perfect. And through Christ Jesus, to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mediator between God and men, I can go through him straight into the Holy of Holies, straight to the throne of my Father, the great I am, and pray to him and have the ear of the King of kings, the mighty God, the creator of the universe. And have the wonderful privilege of calling him Father. There are many who sin and they're proud of their sins. They reject the Son of God. They reject Christ. They do despicable things to the Word of God or anything that symbolizes his victory. But oh, if you reject the Son of God, and if you dare face eternity without having obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are plunging in over the bleeding body of the Son of God and you are straining your willful feet with his precious blood you're staining those feet when we stand before him let us stand cleansed let us stand in the righteous clothes of salvation bought with such a high price and not with the filth of sin upon our soul Bible tells us in John 3.18 He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Still it is true that that central cross divides the world into the saved and the unsaved. On either side and Jesus in the midst. Oh dear friends, Please be sure you are not on the wrong side of the cross. That you are not an enemy of that symbol. That you are not an enemy of the one who died upon the cross. There are some churches that have an image upon the cross that they display. It's a graven image. That's called a crucifix. To them, Christ is still upon the cross, being crucified afresh every time they have the Lord's Supper. 
but not so the cross of Christians. It is empty because he is not there. He is risen. He is Lord. And he's coming back. He is the mighty one. If you are his friend, you can rejoice this day and sleep the sleep of an innocent babe this night, knowing you are right with him, your sins cleansed and paid in full. The Lord Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Those are the instructions of Christ Jesus our Lord, the King of kings. I trust him. Do you trust him? Do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your salvation, with your eternity? Because if not, who are you trusting? You're going to trust yourselves? You're going to trust Buddha or Muhammad, the slave of Muhammad or Krishna? Only one died on the cross and rose from the dead to set men and women free. And that's our wonderful Lord. If you're not a Christian today, I beg you from the bottom of my heart, I plead, please accept Christ as your Lord. Believe, repent, be baptized. Wash away your sins. Because that's the only way you're going to be saved. But if you deny Christ, then there is no hope for you. It's a hard teaching, but it's the truth according to the word of God. Many have a problem with that. But their problem is with Jesus Christ. When we consider all that he did, all that he went through, why would it be a burden to love him enough to obey him? It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a joy. If you obey the gospel, then one day you will stand before him and he will say, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. If you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, or you need our prayers, and we are here for you as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you.